Welcome back tonight. We're glad you're here. We hope that you've had a good afternoon and you're looking forward to again worshiping our Heavenly Father tonight. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we'll spend our time tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Let's jump right into the lesson tonight. If you were with us last week, you know that we talked about how that there is a marriage manual that everyone can have. It's found as God's Word, and it has the solution to every problem of life, as well as every problem, because marriage is a part of life, that persons would have within marriage. Sometimes people don't want to listen to what it has to say. We fail to, to, to take into consideration the things that God says, and therefore we have difficulties in life. But we do have a book that tells us about life and godliness and marriage is a part of that. And so tonight we want to continue on with our thoughts from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We know that they had some questions that they had asked in regard to particularly in chapter number 7, marriage. Paul writes about the fact that, he, uh, that they had done that. He said in verse number 1, as we've looked at the past couple of weeks, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, uh, these are questions that he addresses here in this chapter as well as the rest, evidently, of the book of 1 Corinthians. And so as we look at it, he's answering those questions tonight. But we answered some of them last week. We don't have time to go back and deal with what he had to say uh, after this in the chapter. But what we want to do tonight is continue on from about verse number 17 and we will think about some of the questions that Paul addresses from that point on in the chapter. As we do that tonight, there are some questions about abiding in cultural callings. Now, two in particular that he'll address here in this passage that we'll talk about very briefly tonight. What do you mean by that? Well, look at verse number 17. There the Bible says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now, let me just briefly address what he says here, or how it's translated in the English Standard Version. The word that's translated assigned is a word which literally means to divide. And it's translated in that way, and the majority of cases only here do we find in this particular passage that it's translated by the word Assigned, And I don't know why they chose to do that that way. But if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, at verse number 13, uh, the question is asked, is Christ divided? It's the same word that's used here. But as we think about what this word uh, deals with, it's the part of life that that God has divided out, if you will, to each one. It, it's the time that we spend here on this earth and, and the circumstances that we face here that Paul is addressing. And so as he does that, he's telling them that, that they need to abide or that they need to remain, that they need to continue in the life that God has given them to use the portion of life that they have, whatever state, as we'll note tonight that they're in, whatever state that they find themselves in, that they are to, to make the best of it, basically is what we have and what we'll see as this passage goes on. And so, what are some of the things in particular that they have in mind, too, that, again, that he'll address? 
Number one, he teaches them not to seek to change their racial situation. Now, continuing in verse number 18, if you will, and going through verse number 20, was anyone at the time of his call, that is, the time that he became a Christian, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek, uh, uh, let him not seek circumcision. And in verse 19, he's going to explain that a little bit more. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Now understand, under the Old Testament law, that God had had the covenant of circumcision with the Jews. And if a person didn't have that outward sign, if you will... Uh, you couldn't prove that that person was one of God's people. And so he had given that, but he had given that only to the Jews. That hadn't been given, that circumcision thing hadn't been given to the Gentiles. And now the gospel has been preached both to the Jew and to the Gentile. And, and so you've got mixed congregations, if you will. You've got both Jew and Gentile. And Paul says, hey... There's no reason to try to change the state that you're in. Now remember in the early church that the, um, that the Christians tried to force Judaism onto the Gentiles. They caused them, some of them said that in order for them to be saved, they not only would have to acknowledge Christ and become a Christian, but they would have to keep the law of Moses, including circumcision. And if you go to the book of Acts chapter 15, you'll find that there's a, a, a conference, if you will, from the, uh, the elders and the apostles at Jerusalem, and it's determined that the Gentiles are not, not required by God to do anything other than what they are taught to do as Christians. And so Paul says, if you're a Gentile, then remain like a Gentile. If you are a Jew... Remain like a Jew. Don't, don't try to go get surgery. Don't try to go get something reversed. You know, it wasn't a, a medical technology at that time. wasn't all that advanced. But it wasn't something that they, that they needed to have to even worry about. So don't try to change the racial situation that they have. You know, that's, a, that's an important thing in our world today, isn't it? We have had prejudice throughout the, throughout the ages, and now it comes down to you still have prejudice on, on many different levels and many different sides, but you're going to get in trouble, uh, uh, I guess you might say, uh, politically, being politically correct if you culturally appropriate. You heard that term lately? Uh, you try to culturally appropriate something from a different race. Well, if some of these same folks had been alive in Paul's day, they would have said the Gentiles, if they had been circumcised, would have been culturally appropriating what was done by Jews. God said, don't even worry about that kind of stuff. Don't try to change. Now, when races are oppressed... There are problems. God is not saying, and we'll see that bear out more in the next thing that we talk about, 
But God is not endorsing anyone mistreating another person in any way, regardless of whether it's from a skin color or from some other aspect of life. But Christians, we are to remain in the the, the situation in which we find ourselves when we become a Christian. But then again, Paul addresses another aspect of it. He teaches them that they're not to seek to change their social situation as well. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, think about what he says in verses 21 through 24. He says, were you a bond servant? Some translations say, were you a slave when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called as a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Again, the social situation in which they found themselves, some people in that day were slave owners. And some people were slaves. That's just the way that things went. Now, in our day and time, we we look down upon slavery. We had a war in our nation in regard to slavery. But in the Roman Empire, there were more slaves than there were free men. There were many more slaves in the world that had been enslaved by the Roman Empire than there were free men. And so Paul says, if you were a slave when you became a Christian, you don't have to run away. You don't have to worry about whether you can get to heaven as a slave or not. If you were a free man when you became a Christian, you don't have to worry whether you can get to heaven as a a slave owner because you can. It's possible to do that. Paul says, remain in that situation. But but notice that he talks about if you have the opportunity, if you can gain your freedom, go ahead and take it. He doesn't say you have to remain there. I want to remind you of something that we read. It's actually an entire letter in the New Testament that deals with a slave. The name of the letter is the letter to Philemon, the book of Philemon in in the New Testament. But what is it about? It is a letter that Paul writes to a man by the name of Philemon regarding a slave by the name of Onesimus who had run away. And Onesimus, if you read the book of Philemon, Onesimus became a Christian. He had run away and encountered Paul in some way. Paul had converted him to Christ. And you know what Paul did? Paul sent him back. Paul says, go back. And he writes this letter to Philemon, who evidently is a Christian as well, a brother in Christ. And he says to Philemon, he said, this brother Onesimus, he's been with me and he has served well with me. And you know what? I count that as you serving me. By his service to me, you are serving me through him. But I didn't want to keep him here. I I, I didn't want to take advantage of you, and I'm sort of paraphrasing, I didn't want to take advantage of you, and so I'm sending him back. But, if you read the book of Philemon, Paul argues the fact that this slave, this man, is going to be a much better employee, if you will. 
And that Philemon needs to treat him right. To treat him right. Matter of fact, Paul says, don't treat him like a slave, but treat him like a brother in Christ now. Treat him like you would a brother or sister in Christ, one at church. And so we have that situation. Uh, was Philemon uh, uh, required to let Onesimus go? No. Did Paul urge him to? Yes. And, and again, as you look, you can see that, that idea that plays out there in that passage. And so Paul says one who is a slave becomes a free man in Christ. But on the other hand, the one who is a free man uh, better not get too uppity because he himself becomes a slave to Christ. And of course, as we look at it, we understand that we have a master ourselves. And then Paul would write in the book of Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, these words. He said, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a, also have a master in heaven. Treat them the way that God demands that they be treated, because one day you will answer for it. That is the point that Paul makes. And so, in that cultural situation, whether you're a free man or you're a slave, Paul says you can get to heaven from any one, either one of those situations. Now let me address something right here before we go on that sometimes people try to use this passage for. Sometimes folks will try to use this passage to justify person remaining in an unscriptural marriage, a person uh, uh, who has a companion that, uh, that, that, that they had when they became or wanted to become a Christian, and, and yet they are not married in the sight of God in regard to that. Now, how do you answer that? Does this passage justify remaining with whoever? In other words, the argument, I guess uh, I should set this up a little bit better, the argument is, is this, you may have been in a marriage that is unscriptural, someone who had divorced for without the cause of fornication, maybe even four or five times, but, but now they, they marry this person and they're both baptized into Christ. The argument goes that, well, baptism would wash that, all of that sin away and therefore you can just remain in that one relationship. That's not what Paul teaches here. And there are a number of reasons for that. Number one, there was nothing inherently sinful about being either a Jew or a Greek, a Jew or a Gentile. Nothing inherently sinful about being either one of those. There was nothing inherently sinful about being either a slave or a slave owner. Nothing inherently sinful in that. But then second, to abide in that state, one must continue to exercise his spiritual obligations, his obligations to God. Could a slave worship God? Yes. Could a slave owner worship God? Yes. Could a, uh, uh, could a person who, uh, uh, in the first instance there, who's a Jew, could that person worship God? Carry out his Christian duties, if you will? Yeah. Could a Gentile? Yeah. Were they required to do that? 
Yes. God didn't give them an exemption just because they were in a different setting. And so whatever state you're in, you had to maintain your uh, spiritual obligations to God. But there are some things that are not bound. You remember last time we talked about what is said in verse number 15? One who is in a religiously mixed marriage, if, if the person who is not a Christian requires that the husband or the wife, the spouse, give up God or give up them, which one did God say they're to give up? Well, you're to give up the marriage rather than giving up God. And so there were some who, some marriages even, that God said could be dissolved. Didn't give, as we talked about last time, didn't give a reason for remarriage, but they had an obligation to God. And so tonight we know that though the ideal is to remain in the state called, there are times when it's simply not possible to do that. What do you mean by that? One married unscripturally doesn't meet the first requirement. Does he or she? Is living in an adulterous relationship, is that inherently sinful? You better believe it. God condemns it all the way through the Bible. And then, not only that, but one married unscriptural does not meet even the second requirement in being able to keep his obligations, his spiritual obligations to the Lord. Do you remember at times the apostles and Jesus himself would make statements such as the one found that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 3 at verse 8? Bear fruit in keeping of repentance. You see, there are actions that people who would be God's people must take. Paul said in Acts chapter 26 at verse 20, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And there are things that are involved in repentance that people must do, not just feel. Now let me see if I can illustrate that. Suppose a person steals your car. Steals your car. You catch up with him, and you talk with him, and you convert him to becoming a Christian. Does he still get to keep your car? You say, oh, it's just an old beater. It's not worth all that much. Well, if he steals $5,000 from you, does he still get to keep the $5,000? Most people are going to say, no, you know, that's money. Well, if he steals your car and he steals your $5,000 and he also steals your wife, which one will you let him keep? I'm not trying to be funny. And you may answer trying to be funny, but the answer is not really funny. You see, 
for that person to bear fruit, to, to as Paul would say, to, to, to perform deeds in keeping with their repentance, you'd give the car back, you would give the money back, and you would give the spouse back. Had they sinned prior to their We're going to get to the end of these tonight. What are some of the other questions? Well, there's some questions about uh, uh, virgins marrying. Now, you may have your own Bible out tonight, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, at verse 25. If the computer comes back up and the projector comes back up, we'll try to catch up. But 1 Corinthians chapter 7, at verse 25. Paul writes these words. He says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord... But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. There's some things in that verse we need to talk about. Number one, let's talk about that word betrothed, the way it's translated in the English Standard Version. It's a word which literally means a maiden, by implication an unmarried daughter. And so it's translated much that way in, say, the King James Version. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment. In the New English translation, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 at verse 25, with regard to the question about people who have never married, I have no command from the Lord. He's not talking about people who are engaged necessarily here. He's simply talking about people who have never been married. And so we we talk about, um, we want to understand who Paul is talking about. And if you look at the footnotes or the little numbers that you have, if you have an English Standard Translation, you'll see that there's a little number there by that verse. At least it does in mine, and every one that I've checked that I have in my office has a little number, and it says something like to the effect, Greek is virgins. And so that's who we're talking about, these unmarried folks. But the question, I guess, is simply this. uh, Should people who have never been married get married? That, That seems to be what they're asking. Should people who have never been married get married? Okay? Now, now, there's also something interesting if you look at verse 25 again. Paul says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment. Now, now what is Paul saying about that? When they're asking about, well, if you've never been married, should you go ahead and get married? Okay? 
I have no command from the Lord, but I'm giving my judgment. Paul, are you just uh, giving us your opinion? Mm, no, not really. You see, Paul says the Lord didn't, what he's actually telling us is the Lord didn't specifically address that when he was on the earth. But I'm going to give you, let me just jump ahead a little bit, I'm going to give you his opinion as my opinion. Now how, how could that be? Well, don't miss what he says here, okay? Look again at verse 25. He says, But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Uh, is Paul saying that you can trust me? I'm trustworthy. You, know, you can listen to me. Or does he have something else in mind? Let's explore that just a little bit. If you have your Bible, this is not going to be on the screen. But if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verses 12 and 13. A passage you've probably read a number of times, or at least heard a number of times. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful. He has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And then he goes on, though I formerly was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent but, I opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. I want you to think about what is said at the end of verse number 12. You see, Paul says that he was judged faithful. Start with the word faithful. The word faithful in 1, Corinthians, or rather 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12 is the same word that's translated trustworthy in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. And so Paul again reiterates the fact that I'm trustworthy, I'm faithful. But who was the one who judged him that way? You see, we have that same kind of thing here. He said, I'm who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I'm giving my judgment because I've been counted as trust. Who did it? Again, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He judged me faithful. And when Christ judged him faithful, what did he do? He gave him a job. And his job was to be an apostle. And as an apostle, what was he to do? Carry the message that Jesus had given him. And so that's what Paul is saying here. The Lord did not specifically address it when he was on the earth, but as his apostle, I'll handle it. I will take care of it. I will answer that question for you. And so as we look at that, having cleared that up, what is his answer? Well, his answer is found, I guess you might say, in verses 26 and 27. The answer is this. Should persons who've never been married get married? Well, you need to consider what's happening. Paul says, I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to why? Don't seek to be free. What did he just say about 
the racial thing. What did he just say about the social thing? Now in the marriage, he's giving the same advice. Don't seek to be free. If you, if you, have, a, if you have a wife, don't s- seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek one. Don't be looking to get married. But what did he say? Because of the present distress. Paul, what are you talking about? As we'll notice here in the next few verses, life at that time was about to get hard. Those who were Christians were about to suffer because they were Christians. And trying to provide for a family or watching a family being tortured in front of you because you're a Christian to get you to renounce Christ may have a really strong effect on you. To see a husband or wife put to death in front of your eyes to get you to renounce Christ. Now you think about that for a minute, those of you who are married. Think about how hard that would be. Paul says in view of what's coming upon us, in view of the present distress, probably better to remain like you are. If you're married, don't try to get unmarried. If you're not married, don't don't look up a wife. Now Paul's going to explain it a little bit more. He says, but if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed or a virgin woman marries, she's not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Now watch this last part, which it's translated in the English Standard. I would spare you that. I don't want you to have to go through it. But if you decide that you need to get married, you want to get married, there's no sin that's involved. Go ahead and do it. And then he goes on in verses 39 or 29 through 31. He said, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Paul, what is it you're saying? The things of this world, the worldly troubles, things that we have here, they're all transitory. They're not permanent. They're not, they're not going to, to last forever. Not even that marriage. You may withstand all of the things, but in heaven there's no marriage or given in marriage. Remember they discussed that. Back Jesus discusses that when the Sadducees bring a, a woman or that had been married to several different brothers to Jesus, bring up that question. But they're like the angels. Things in this life are transitory. They're going to pass away. But he goes on in verses 32 and follow, or 29 and following, 32 and following, the things that are of God, the things pertaining to the Lord, you see, they're eternal. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about, how, about worldly things, how to please his wife. 
and his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. The married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed man is anxious. Think about what he says. The person who who has the worldly things, they're sort of split. Their loyalties are sort of split. But just to make a long story short, where is our devotion to be? Our undivided devotion should be given to the Lord. And so Paul discusses, if you will, the, the idea of, is it okay to get married? Yes, but be careful. Are there some present distresses today where couples should consider maybe not marrying for a while? Putting things off? I know we've got some who've just gotten engaged, and I'm not talking you out of it unless I can. And that's not because I don't like who you're marrying, anything like that. I just want, it, want us to understand the seriousness of the matter. What are some of today's present distresses? Do you have a job? Adequate to support yourselves? Somebody said you can't live on love. Young married couples try to sometimes, but it doesn't always happen that way. What about an age difference? What about a difference in religion? What about facing some lengthy illness what about uh, the type of job that a person has suppose there's a soldier who's about to go on a long deployment should you put it off you know on and on and on we could go differences over children how many will you have differences over where you live will you move away from home away from your family will you be in a different location and one wants to go and one doesn't Maybe things need to be called off for a while. And so, even though we may not face the persecutions that they were facing, there are questions that we have to answer even today. But very quickly tonight, as we continue on, Paul also discusses getting married and withholding marriage again. Verses 36 through 38, very quickly, he says, But whoever... uh, Let me back up a little bit. How do I back up, Connor? Mm, Up at the top. Back me up one, Larry. Anyway, verses 36, beginning there. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has, uh, has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry... It is no sin, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Paul, what are you talking about now? Getting married? Withholding marriage? Well, the question that we first have to try to answer is, Paul, who are you writing to? 
There are two distinct differences that are possible. And depending upon which translation you read from, you may get one sense from one translation that it's pointing in this direction, and from another translation get the sense that it's pointing in another direction. What do you mean by that? Well, the question is Paul talking to fathers who have unmarried daughters who would have to give their uh, approval for the daughter to get married. Or is Paul talking about a husband and a wife that are just deciding to get married? Now you understand that, that there could be a difference because in those days things didn't work necessarily like they do in our day. A boy and a girl didn't just meet out on the street and decide that they're going to uh, get to be friends on, uh, on um, say, Instagram or Snapchat or something. Then they decide to go out on a date, and eventually they, they go out on a date, and, you know, first one thing, then another, and then they get married. Well, back in that day, it was a little bit different. Mom and Daddy chose, sometimes even when the children were little, small children, who's going to be married. They arranged marriages. Uh, such was the case with uh, Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, was it not? Who sent over yonder to the, other, to the, to the land where they'd come from to get him a wife? Was it Isaac? Nope. It was Daddy, Abraham. Go bring him one back. Get him the right one. And so it didn't always happen that way. But what are you talking about? Fathers, should you... Put your foot down and say your daughter can't get married. Well, if that is the case, I want you to notice that as we ran through that, and I read through it real quick, and I don't want to belabor this, but if he's talking about fathers, he wants to know, is the father misbehaving by saying no? And what about, what does he mean, if the needs so require, let her marry? Well, the financial need of the father would be under consideration, were it not, because a dowry would be paid. All those kinds of things could be the pressure from the daughter, some external need that, uh, that we haven't already mentioned. But if the need does not require, it's good to keep her at home. Let them stay unmarried because of the present distress. If it's a husband and wife or husband and girlfriend, we'll just put it that way, under consideration, then what does he mean when he talks about if there's a necessity? And I tend, and the English Standard Version tends to point us in that direction. If they can't keep their desires under control, get married. Now, had Paul already addressed that matter earlier in the chapter? Yes. And so it definitely fits there. If there's no necessity, in other words, if they're able to control their desires, then wait. Had Paul addressed that? Yes. And he himself was a living example of it. And so as we look at it, whether it applies to fathers or it applies to future husbands and wives, whichever one it applies to, you need to take into consideration the circumstances. Whether you're able 
to withhold yourself. And I think I lean toward the second part here. If you can't control yourself, then it's better, as Paul would say earlier, to marry than to burn with passion. And so he addresses that matter. It's neither right nor wrong, but it may be wiser to do it either one way or the other. But then, then real quick tonight before we end, what about the widows remarrying? Uh, that seems to be a question. Can a Christian widow remarry? One of the things that they ask of Paul, and he answers it in verses 39 and 40. A wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Paul wasn't unsure about whether he had the Spirit of God. He is making a statement. I do have the Spirit of God. I'm speaking on his authority. But what about the, the Christian widow? Can she remarry? Or the Christian widower? Can he remarry? Yes. Very quickly, what is the one stipulation that he puts on it? Only in the Lord. Which we could spend some, a lot of detailed time on tonight, but let me throw two things out. What does only in the Lord mean? If you use it as an adjective then the person that the widow marries must be a Christian. There are times when this phrase is used as an adjective. If you go to the book of Romans, chapter 16, verses 11 through 13, Paul talks about, Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of uh, Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord. Again, we're using that, that term as being those who are Christians. Two other times in verses 12 and 13, he does that. But if you use it as an adverb, it comes out a little bit different. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, at verse 1, it's used in that way. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. May I ask you a question? Is Paul saying that only children of Christian parents are under obligation to obey them? No, that wouldn't work at all, would it? And so what is he saying? Children, obey your parents in the Lord... For this is right. When your parents are bringing you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, sending you in the right way, you know some parents don't do that, do they? There are some parents that are scum who try to sell their children for in the sex trade. Would that little girl or that little boy be required to obey mama and daddy in that? Where has God ever said that was right? But if mama and daddy are pointing you in the right direction, 
bringing you up in the right way, you're under obligation to obey them whether they're Christians or not. And so this passage, unfortunately, can be taken either way. And there is good evidence for both. But unlike Paul, let me give you my best advice, and that is simply this. The safe thing to do is marry a Christian who meets all the qualifications, and thus you cover both. You see, it wouldn't be right for one to marry, for a widow, Christian widow or widower to marry a, a man who is divorced from his wife unscripturally, would he? Regardless of whether he's a Christian or not. And so just do it both ways at the same time. Make sure that the person you're marrying is a Christian, but make sure they're qualified to be married and you'll be safe. And that's my advice from this word. But let me just very quickly say, this thing is not universal, what Paul says. What? In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 11 through 15, Paul says, But refuse to enroll younger widows. There we are, talking about the same group of people. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, their desire to, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. Paul said, you can or you can't, either one, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 and 40. But he said, in particular for the younger widows, it's better for you to go ahead and marry. And so this idea that, uh, that they're happier if, uh, they, if they remain as they are, Again, it's not a universal, universal thing. Now I realize tonight we covered a lot of ground. Those questions that they ask are, are good questions. They're valid questions. They're questions we need to know the answers to. But we've talked about this marriage thing for two or three weeks now, and we wanted to wrap it up. We want to continue belaboring the point. If you have further questions and want to know more, I'd be glad to sit down with you and study more with you, try to point out more things from, from what Paul has to say here. But we're going to move on from, from this point and discuss some other things that the Corinthians wanted to know about as well. It may be tonight that you're not a Christian and you need to become one. It may be that you are a Christian, but you've strayed away from the Lord and you need to come back to Him. If that's the case, whatever it may be, if we can assist you, why don't you...